Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. Yes, I do have a website at loverealize.com where you can watch all of these messages on video. Um, so check that out. But for those that are, that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There, there is a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. And there's much of the print that is highlighted in red, and those are actually links to YouTube videos, many of which are very profound and amazing, and that the vast majority of the public knows nothing about that exposes a mastery of deception and lies that is very irrefutable evidence. So you can check that out as well. And this message is about the very source of reality, the very reason for which you exist and all things consist and exist. And that very source of reality is an ultimate manifestation and perfection of love who is who the one true eternal God is. And on my site at ultimatemeaning.com, for those that are new, I have recently put up a video there. It's a little ways from the top. It's not too far down, but it's a really large uh, video that you'll see there where I really explain clearly who the one true God could only be from a very integral standpoint that clearly defines what truth and reality is. And so check that out. Now, in these messages, I want to start having the song that is picked by the casting of Lot before God out of a 1,257 songs of possibility, and actually even more than that. But the vast majority will, will be picked out of those. And I always want them to have a, um, the words on the screen so they can be used on an overhead projector if you have internet connection with YouTube. They're very wonderful, beautiful songs. I am very fussy that they have to be the very best with congregational singing, instruments, and meaning and depth in the words. And I have a playlist of those at loverealize.com that you can check out as well which is very extensive now. I'm sure it's well over 100 songs. So check that out for yourself. Um, so we're going to go to this song. And again, a lot of the times when I cast Lot, and I look up the song in this hymn book, which is 1080, and then there's others I have from another source. Um, I don't choose the song that's from the hymn book that I get by Lot. But strangely, the song that is related to the theme of the message that I already know what it is happens to be there on a YouTube video. And so in a, it's an unusual way, but it's way beyond coincidence how this happens. And so that's what happened today. The song I actually got was 65 in the hymn book, which was a nice song, but it wasn't, I'm very fussy and... I want a lot more meaning in the words. It was good words and so on. But sure enough, the very song with the particular theme and actually the very verses that I read by the cat, that I came to by the casting of Lot and the Word of God was in this song. And it was by typing in, in YouTube, the title and number of this song that got me to this other song that happens to be the song that is the very scripture. It, it, it actually came, contains in the words of the song the very scripture that I got by the casting of Lot. So I may as well briefly explain, explain to those before we do this song is that I, with great reverence and awe before God, um, use two independent random applications to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible. In other words, I'm casting lots before God, which is a very common practice from the Old Testament scriptures, as well as by the early church, as well as by powerful movements and revival like the Moravians. 
uh, which even chose their own wives by the casting of Lot. When you do it and you're walking right with God, it really does work. But be sure God's leading you to do it. And if you're not right with God, it would be divination and it would be an abomination before God. So I want to share with you what I received. The two chapters I received today, of course, will be shared. I just meditate on them for a half an hour, not knowing what I'm going to speak so that I will speak out of the Spirit of God, not by preparation. And so I want to now go into the song that we got today, and we will worship and sing with this song. So here we go with the song. Coming up very shortly.
so that is an amazing, wonderful song. And I have to admit, I did have one other song here today that I believe is, I'm going to just hit the back button here for a moment. And it was, I love thy kingdom, Lord. And I think we'll go with that one as well, okay? I just felt like both of them are so similar because it was also on there. But the first one, the one we just sung, actually made me, it was this one that was first, actually. And then from there, I saw this one. So we'll do with this one too. more wonderful place than to be in the presence of the very source of love of ultimate beauty and goodness the very presence of the one true God for whom to know is life eternal do you have the vision do you see the treasure that is that diamond buried in the field it's worth it all to sell everything you have to purchase it of your life, of your being, to be part of this everlasting family in the very presence of your creator, who is the very ultimate perfection of love and whose love animates such beautiful, bright light in colors that don't even exist in this world and life and intelligence in heaven, even the plants communicate and sing praises to God. The trees do. I mean, I'm talking because I've read, a I've written a book that you can purchase on Amazon called Afterlife. Incredible, irrefutable by my name, David James Thompson. And uh, I don't have here time to share 
all the glories, but the word of God says that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. And you cannot love the world and love God at the same time. To receive the one true God who is life eternal means that we die to self and we embrace him. And how do we die to self? Is it by some gritting of our teeth and our own willpower? No. It is by the acknowledgement of how integral and pure God's love is. That it is always choosing the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. That it is the very opposite of corruption. That it is the very destroyer of corruption, the very preserver of that which is good. For corruption is what destroys good. But this love is so pure that it ensures that there is a destiny where there will be no corruption forever. That we can be partakers of this incredible pleasures of fellowship that ever enlarges with our unique individual creativity in fellowship with God and the myriads of his creations that include angels and many other kinds of beings, including talking to the trees and the plants, having communication with all of his creation in heaven. And the planet Earth, compared to heaven, is like a little speck. According to some that have seen these things, uh, just a little teeny, you know, very insignificant in size. If you can call it a planet, I mean, it's, they say, yes, there's mountains there too, but way more majestic. And I'm not going to get into describing all of that. I'm here to share with you the good news. That God, the one true God who is life eternal, is love. And yes, his love is very severe on corruption in our own lives and in this world, and we can get our eyes on all the suffering, which is the consequences of free-willed beings making choices contrary to his love. God had to create us with free will in order to have the capacity of love, or we would just be mere machines, which would be a very low form of life. I laugh at these people that, think they're creating this great AI and they say, oh, these machines are going to be more intelligent than man and all this. What a bunch of nonsense. When you consider the other dimensions that exist beyond this third physical dimension. I mean, particle physics reveals by great mathematical language with very, you know, highly qualified mathematical languages that these other dimensions from the fourth to the tenth are way superior to the physical. And when people die, their intelligence is so great, they can in a few seconds absorb whole dictionaries or way more than that. And I'm not going to get into that. That's the experience of many that have been highly verified to have been dead for a long time, like Dean Braxton for almost two hours and others. There's Dale, Brack, Dale, Dale Black, and, and I could list a whole list of many others but I'm here to just want to share what God has given today by his word through the casting of lot before God I will bring up now those two chapters that I received today before the Lord and I received Psalms 84 and Acts 19 and these two chapters do reveal a contrast between the temple of God and the temples of this world. Those who are not upright before God have self-seeking motives for the temporal pleasures of this world via the temple of their own self-worship, including identities and everything except the one true God. Monotheistic, idolatrous perceptions of God are included as well as the polytheism that comes out of an idolatrous monotheistic perception of God. I could probably get into explaining that more, but the point I'm making here 
is that our focus is not on the consequences of God's severity on corruption that we see has resulted in all the suffering of the, in the world. You see, when you create a being with the capacity to love, that means there's the potential for hell. It also means that being is self-originating and therefore self-responsible and therefore the creator of its own choices and therefore you cannot blame God for creating the devil or for all of these things. It is not God that is the source of corruption. He is the source of the opposite of corruption, of love that goes on forever and ever, of goodness that is ever enlarging. And the reason we are here in this world is because his purpose is that in creating us with the potential to love, there's the potential to make choices in the direction that is a hell-contagious state of being, like a black hole in outer space that can pull everything in around us, including other people, into the same destructive state of being. And his purpose is to bring us from that state into harmony with his love forever. And so the first aspect of God's love is this integrity that will not tolerate corruption, that is severe on it. But his love is so ultimate in its expression from that indestructible foundation of reality because it is indestructible whatever is the opposite of corruption. And only love could be this highest, purest form of love. But the ultimate expression from that indestructible foundation of reality, which is represented in the negative symbol, cutting off corruption, an indestructible foundation, and from that is formed the symbol, which is the positive symbol, or the symbol of the cross, which is also the last letter of the alphabet, exactly as we have the cross symbol today, in the most ancient languages way back, 1500, 2000 BC, in the Mideast with the Hebrew language and other languages and meant sign or symbol. And what this love is in its ultimate expression and aspect is that, yeah, God is so great that he can communicate with his creation. <laughs> These people that have this monotheistic limited perception of God that he's not great enough to communicate with his creation. I mean, well, how could God come on a little speck of a planet like this? It's like a little grain of sand in the midst of all the sand in the, in the, on the earth. It's even less than that, actually, if you really look at what's out there in the universe. And here he comes down into this little planet and can communicate with us. Some people say, no, God's too great to do that. No, that's a limited concept of God, isn't it? It says he humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heaven of heavens in the word of God. It also is very clear that he communicated from the very beginning of time, from the time of Adam and Eve, in human personage. For example, in Genesis 18 with Abraham, where you can read and you will see the historical account there of three angels that are standing Maybe around, my guess, is 10 feet from the tent door in the heat of the day, Abraham looks up, recognizes these aren't just ordinary people. They look too majestic to be that. He goes and bows before them and says, can I make you a beautiful? And that's it, says, can I make you a really good meal? And he goes about to get his servants making a meal and they eat. And while they're eating and talking, all three of them eating of these angels, he addresses one of them as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God, which in the Hebrew, in the Bible, basically means the I am that I am, the ultimate reality, far above, separate and beyond creation, the one true God, in other words. And Jesus Christ called himself the I am. He made it clear that he was God manifest in the flesh, the full expression of the Father. And yes, God is so great in his love that it was always within the being of God beyond this time and space realm in the infinite past to be able to come and condescend into this little planet and suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could repent and be reconciled to God because he became a perfect atoning, substitutionary sacrifice 
for you. His body was broken unto death for you. He shed his blood for you. And if you were the only one he created, he would still have loved you that much to do that for you. So that you could make a choice to be reconciled to God from the wrong choices you've made in rebellion against him. And I can show you many examples if you read my book where they said the love was so intense that they really knew that he would have done that for them if they were the only ones. That's how great his love is. That, how can you reject the love that's that great? And there is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater than this love. Only this love could be an ultimate trustworthiness worthy to contain unlimited authority, power, and life without using it in a corrupt way or being corrupted by it, thus indicative he is the very source. And so I'm sharing here in this passage these scriptures about how you can know a wonderful destiny. As the psalmist David describes here in Psalm 84 that I received, first of all, by the casting of Lot. You know, I may as well just read the whole psalm. It's not that long. And why not read it all? I mean, I should be able to. So here we go. To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. How amiable. How amiable. How amiable. How amiable. Me a bull are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the cords of the Lord, or in the original Hebrew, Yahweh, or Yehovah, some others pronounce it, but Yahweh's more accurate. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. So here's a little sparrow having its little nest in one of the altars before they enter into the presence of God there. What's God saying by that? Everything he has created, he cares about. It's very clear in the word of God that he even cares about the sparrows. There's an account of um, some king, and I don't know where it is now in, in the Old Testament, where he did something to a sparrow, and that caused, I forget the details of the story now, but God's judgment was upon him for how he treated that little bird. And Christ said that he cares for, the, that God even cares for the sparrows. Uh, and he says, how much more value are you than the sparrows? But God values his creation. In fact, there are some people, when they die, they, and I wish I would have put this one in my book. It's, if I find the YouTube video again, I will probably make that an addition in the book because it was so interesting because one person experienced some realm, not in heaven, but some realm where they saw that every living thing that God created, even the rocks that don't have life, had love in it and was experiencing harmony with the Creator after they were I don't know, destroyed. I don't know how you destroy a rock. But, but this is what basically they were saying, is that everything, no matter how insignificant, was there. All the little fruit flies or insects or whatever they are were in some kind of realm where they were brought into this tremendous harmony where there's just expressions of all kinds of forms of life and creation, just emanating love, coming from that ultimate love source, which is God. Of course, that's not the realm of heaven where we go to. But it's some kind of dimension there where there was that experience. And of course, there are many dimensions that exist, which is shown by mathematical analysis of <clears throat> particle physics through such things as the Large Hadron Collider that discovered the God particle in 2012. That $16 billion project with thousands of scientists working on there. That's another big topic which is in my book. So we go on here and we read. And so what I'm saying here 
is that God wants us to recognize that he delights in inhabiting habit of, of habitation of fellowship with us. He loves to have fellowship with us. He even delighted in that little sparrow not being moved from under that altar. It kind of represents our frailty and our humanity. And we come to the altar in our frailty and humanity and we don't shrink and say, God, I'm going to hide my weaknesses from you. We don't shrink from God and, and try to deceive ourselves and say, no, I don't acknowledge this. No, we come before God and say, search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. We bring our weaknesses to him and humble ourselves and admit, Lord, I don't have strength over this temptation. Help me. Take the desire away. Please, I'm desperate. I want to be close to you. Please take it away, God. And when we get desperate like that, brothers and sisters, God delivers us. But if we're never desperate, then we really don't in our heart of hearts want deliverance. We need to come just as we are. And the reason we feel weak, we may feel so weak that we hardly can speak it audibly. I remember coming under such condemnation at one time in my life because of temptation and lust in my life. And I felt so condemned by my own heart and by the enemy that when I came into the house of God, I didn't think I was worthy. I thought that God had rejected me. And then his presence came down. And it came down so strong. And I knew I was forgiven. I knew I was accepted. Brothers and sisters, don't let the enemy condemn you. Just come with true repentance in your heart, then you are coming as in a way that he will not cast you out. For it says in his word, if you come to me, he will in no wise cast you out. But if you don't come with true repentance and uprightness, he can't receive you because you're not even coming. The only way you come before God is with a heart that is not holding on to self, but letting go, not by your own strength, but be, by being undone in the light of how glorious this love is that's so pure that it will not tolerate what is contrary to love in our lives and in this world. And so I am sharing with you this passage here. And it says, and don't, I don't mind if I get broken in tears before God. It's, it's, a, it's wonderful have brokenness and contrition before God. It's not, it's not sorrow. It's, it's, it's tears of joy that I'm experiencing. Joy and comfort from the Spirit of God because my heart is broken before him because of how awesome he is and how wonderful he is and how merciful he has been to me and is to any that come to him with a true heart of repentance. You can be set free totally free. And when you come like that in repentance, you will be delivered. God will bring deliverance to you. He wants those that truly circumcise their heart before him. We go on and we read here. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee in whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the valley of back, which means the valley of tears. I don't often cry in my messages, but I'm crying today. And isn't it amazing that in this verse it says, who passing through the valley of tears makes it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Brothers and sisters, the holiness of God is the integrity and purity of his love that will not tolerate that corruption that is contrary to love in your lives. He loves you too much to let you get, to allow you 
to be manipulated by the temporal baits of this world that are used by the enemy to draw your life out of his ways into the paths of destruction that can lead to eternal torment and separation from God. So don't deceive yourself if you're living an unholy life as a believer. I have met Christians that are in my heart cries for some that I know. I mean, I'm broken. I'm so sad for them because they deceive themselves and they say, I heard this charismatic teacher say it's not sin. Let's be on the safe side with God, brothers and sisters. It says out of the issues of the heart, or out of, it says out of the heart of the issues of life. It, Christ made it clear that even the imagination must be brought into subjection. It says in the New Testament that we're to bring every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. So he doesn't want us imagining things that are immoral and, and having habits that are immoral or imaginations that we carry out that are immoral, that are unholy. We go on here and we really read, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. In other words, you're supposed to meditate and be quiet. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. All these people that are trying to find fulfillment in the temporal baits of this world, whether it's sexual immorality or crazy imaginations being carried out with games that are evil and wicked, or it's sports where you're all caught up with your emotions and things that when it says in the word of God, the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. And a lot of the sports today, they're singing songs that are totally in rebellion against God, I've heard. I've never watched it, so I don't know, but I've been told. I happened to be watching the Stu Peter show recently. He said, I quit watching the big Super Bowl because now they've got Black Panthers singing their song. They've got songs that exalt, you know, things that are totally immoral before God. But the issue is here. It's where is our heart? Those things, once you come into a deep, intimate relationship with God, are so shallow that you would never want to have your time spent on them. Am I saying you can't watch sports? I wouldn't want to put a person under bondage and say that. Maybe they want to relax a little bit. Who am I as God to judge? I'm not going to judge people and put them in bondage. But where is your heart? Are you in a love relationship with God where you are experiencing that wholeness in your being that is filled with a life of the spirit of God's love. Christ said, whoever believes with their life into me, out of their innermost being, would flow rivers of living water. Do you experience those rivers of living water? It says of Israel, they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They had the truth, but they fell into the trap. of their own self-righteousness. They lost the genuine fear of God, which reciprocates who God is first in his holiness, which is the integrity of his love. And that sees that holiness as of good, instead of having a warped perception, monotheistic, idolatrous perception of God as some tyrant that must be appeased to be pleased. So you think if you perform this and this like Cain did, somehow your offering will be accepted when your heart is far from God. And you're not perceiving that his holiness is good because you're focused on all the suffering and you're beginning to perceive God as some enigma or some mystery. Oh, maybe there are other space creatures just as powerful as this one. And so then you fall into polytheism is what happened in the beginning after the worldwide flood for sure and I won't go into all the evidence on that from the archaeologist David Roll which claims to be an agnostic but has highly exposed all the deception of people hiding out hiding all the evidence of archaeology that supports the Bible
by by not acknowledging the real dates of certain events. You can, there's a link there to, I think, David Roll and my um, little flip book I told you about at ultimatemeaning.com. I want to go on here. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And what is the good thing? The good thing is a loving, right relationship with God. Nothing else is good unless there's that. And once there's that, in God's timing, he may entrust you with some blessings because you're going to use those blessings in a way that will just enlarge to the glory of God and your heart isn't caught up in the temporal pleasures of the world. Your heart is caught up in love relationships with God and others that causes you to give your wealth to those things that are going to count for eternity and change people's lives. Nothing is more fulfilling than that. If you think you're ever going to find fulfillment in all the toys that the devil can offer you in this world, far, far. That is so boring. That is so shallow and empty. You're missing out on abundant life. You don't want that broken cistern. And if your cistern has been fragmented to the point that you feel so wounded and hurt that you don't believe God can forgive you, I'm telling you, he will if you ask him. And he will fill those cracks with gold and he will take the things and the terrible uh, things that have happened in your life. Maybe because of past generations that have been re rebellion against God, it has resulted in God's judgment upon you and things that are in your life. That can be broken by repenting on the behalf of those and asking for God's atoning mercy through the blood of Christ to come between you and those past generations that hated God in your lineage. And then he can take those cracks and make something even more beautiful than if there was no cracks. A vessel filled with special gold it has all these beautiful lines in it that he can make into a beautiful design. O Lord God of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee, and faith works how? By love, it says in the word of God. So it's when we reciprocate first the love of God and his holiness that we are brought to a place of saying, like a fist, we've been in rebellion against God and we suddenly, we see it. We say, oh God, forgive me. And our soul opens up like this open hand. And the mercy of God, his spirit comes to dwell with ours. And now the hand can't close. It is in a state of continual selfless trust, which is the birth of a new nature, which is described in 1 John. It says that, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And it says, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, even our faith. So what is born of God is a state of being that is a state of trust that is transformed into a new nature that is in a selfless state of trust before God. And the deception still in our lives will gradually fall off as we continue to pray and to seek him and to abide in him in the way it says in the word when it says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. It is a reciprocating of faith, moral persuasion, exercising our soul and our spirit in worship, bringing the presence of God more and more into our being, enlarging the seed, growing, sprouting, swallowing up the the old nature being replaced with the new divine nature within us. Now, I want to go to the other passage and at least touch on it that I received today. And that is in Acts, I believe it is chapter 19. We'll go there. And I just, maybe we'll read certain portions of Acts 19. I know the time is going on. And so we see here in Acts 19, 
the account of some people that didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Basically what's happening in Acts 19, first of all, you got 12 people that were baptized by John the Baptist, but they didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Of course, I can bring that up here. Um, and it says this, and he said unto them, this is Paul the Apostle, verse 2, have you received the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit since you believe? And they said unto them, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. I'm reading from the King James. And he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. And they said unto, okay. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ. Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12,000. So they were all already living a holy and obedient life. But they somehow didn't know that they could have this separate experience of when you're you know, totally given and sold out to God, it says God gives the Holy Ghost to those that obey him in Acts 4.12, I believe it is, if I got the right chapter. It might be, no, it might be 5.32, I've forgotten, but anyhow. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, my experience myself is that I experience Prophecy, not in the sense of telling the future, but in the sense of God's utterances coming out of me beyond myself, it often comes out of tongues. And when I speak in tongues, like I did in this last meeting on Sunday, it came out, um, it always comes out in a very beautiful sounding language that sounds like a very real language. And it comes out very strongly. And I, of course, I keep my voice down. I don't want to make a scene uh, in the particular church I'm going to. But I knew what I was supposed to say, but I'm a little hesitant because that church isn't like the other church I went to, which is very rare. The other church I went to, you were totally free. You didn't have to ask to use the mic or anything. You could just allow the Spirit to move on you and prophesy. And so I knew what I was saying. And it was basically this. I even can remember what it was. It was it was say, the Spirit was saying, sort of awakening, sort of awakening, pierce through the cloud of sleep. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. But this sword shall pierce even to the point where it, as it pierced Mary, it hurt, and it caused the thoughts of many to be revealed. And so this sword may cause the wounding unto a great awakening, but the wounding will be a healing. It will be a resurrection. Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead. And that was basically the word I got in tongues. That was what I was seeing in tongues, was those verses and that uh, picture. And immediately after that, a lady got up that I knew was very sensitive to God and loved God. And she starts sharing about the sword of awakening and how she saw these three angels with swords to awaken the body of Christ. And what are we seeing right now? We're seeing the Kentucky revival going on now. I guess it's about 12 days. It's been going steady. Now that's just a very, you know, a lot of singing and stuff. There's a lot more that God wants to bring forth, but it's the beginning of something. Now it needs to be channeled into the new wineskin that God has prepared for these last days to fulfill John 17. I've written a book on it called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can purchase on Amazon that shows everything you can do in your local congregation so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local congregation. It's about 200, I forget if it's up to 270 pages or 250 something now. 
but you can purchase that on Amazon and I highly recommend you do it I haven't tried to advertise it so I have to get out there and probably do that soon but God is calling for us to never be the church the way we've been it there's no time in a world that's so filled with darkness and crisis as we've never seen before and such insanity that is happening and oppression and tyranny and deception there's no place for going back to being the church and just having church the way we've always had it. We should never limit God in our assemblies. Why are you having pre-service prayer meetings? Why don't you just make your church service a prayer meeting and begin starting to just be more conscious of Christ than your midst, than any agenda or program or songs? Songs don't come first. Prayer, getting on our faces and crying out to God comes first generally. I'm not saying there's any set pattern. It can be that songs come first. But the typical churches, they always start out with joy, joy, joy. Brothers and sisters, we need to be in awe first. We need to be in awe of whose presence we're in and reverence and love. Out of that comes greater and deeper joy because it's coming from a deeper river, from the presence of God. Why are you having short services when you can have one at 2 o'clock, which gives lots of people time to prepare properly and have their own prayer time? Then you can have a four-hour service and really break through. There are many things you can do to facilitate. Why is the leadership not allowing people to freely move in the gifts of the Spirit? Why do they have to go up and ask permission to use the mic? So there's a bit of mass. God took care of it at Zusa. He takes care of it wherever he moves freely like that. This time, though, what happens is not going to decrease by man getting in the way. This time, man will not be in the way. The center of tension will be Jesus Christ and John 17 will be fulfilled. And there's nothing more wonderful than that. And in this chapter, in the book of Acts, we have the account of a counterfeit temple. But first of all, Paul is moved to go to the Jewish synagogue and after a period of time, they reject him from that temple. So he goes to a heathen school and continues to communicate the gospel for two years until all of Asia has heard the gospel. And then now it's affecting their idols that they worship. The great goddess Diana, as they called her, that was that ascended from heaven, from Jupiter, I think they said here in this chapter. And they're making all these little idols out of silver, and now they're not making money, and they're really angry, and they bring Paul. They, they don't bring Paul, they bring his co-workers, and they start, you know, this big shouting for two hours, great is this phony false god. I won't even name it. People without God always seek for identity in something in order to come together as a group. In the time of Germany, it was Hitler. Boy, did he ever deceive the people. But that's where they were all at, spiritually, that allowed for that to happen. Nowadays, we have many temples that are satanic temples around the world as never before. Even brazenly doing it in the open now in the United States. There are many kinds of temples that man builds out of his own self-worshipping state of being that is corrupt and that will never last. The only kingdom that can last is a kingdom with this love I'm talking about that will not tolerate corruption. That kingdom will destroy all these phony temples. And when the temple of God comes together to be an habitation of God through the Spirit as living stones that God is putting together in these last days in local assemblies, it will cause the temples of man to crumble to the point that Christ returns and there's that great earthquake that's described in so many places in the Scripture on, at the return of God to the earth throughout Isaiah and throughout the especially the, the book of Revelation. There's a time coming when the Lord returns on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives splits in half. 
And when that earthquake hits, it says in Revelations, the towers of the earth fell. It also says, I believe in Isaiah, the same term. That's those high rises. Everything is flattened. But where God's people are, there's no destruction. Even the buildings don't fall. It says in Isaiah 24, they will praise him in the midst of the fires at his return, in the midst of the destruction. It says in Isaiah 33 that the glory of God will fill the air in such a way that the wicked, when they breathe, the air will be turned to ashes because of the presence of God that will fill the atmosphere at this time and bring in the 1,000-year reign of Christ, after which he will create a new heaven and a new earth that goes on forever. Right now, all the people that die are in that other dimension that's superior to this physical dimension by far. But that heaven is also going to evade the earth in the last days and eventually cause this present world to be consumed by fire and replaced with a new heavens and a new earth, wherein those such as us that have received Christ will be forever in a love relationship with God that is never boring, ever enlarging, and ever creative. Brothers and sisters, are you ready for that? I think you should be. And so here we have this false temple and this false God. God is calling us as those today to throw out the money changers in our churches, to throw out the corruption, the denominative, denominative mindset that does not love one another fervently, that, that does not receive one another as Christ received us despite our differences. I can get angry when I see someone saying that or inferring that, you know, you don't have to worry about your salvation once you receive Christ. I wouldn't say you don't worry about it, but you don't live any old way. If you really receive Christ, why would you? It would be questionable whether you really were born again, if that's the attitude you think and you can believe in this once saved, always saved, when it says in Revelation 3 there of the church of Sardis, that I will not blot out those that have not defiled their garments, the, I will not blot out their names out of the book of life, inferring that you can have your name in the book of life and then have it blotted out, which infers that you can be, which makes it clear that you can be saved and then lose your salvation. But so someone believes this deceptive thing that can lead people astray, and I can get angry at that. I'm going to still love them because I can see Christ in them and their hearts for God. I'm not going to get angry and say, no. Am I going to compromise and agree? No, but I can still love them. We can still receive one another as Christ received us until we come into that oneness of mind. And if they are deceived and they are not really born again, that will become evident and God will take care of it. But God's not going to allow people to get in the way of his purpose in these last days. That is the message God is giving today to the body of Christ. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And furthermore, I am building my temple and gather together with my people that call on me out of a pure heart. And if you're living a godly life and you're in a temple or a group of believers that isn't, you will suffer persecution. Or if they have a strong demand, you know, some people can be really religious and seem to be really dedicated even as believers, but they're divisive. They're very denominative. God wants denominations to repent of being denominations and to be receiving one another. There's great riches in denominations of various aspects of the glory of God, but those riches now have to come out of those shells those denominative shells and these riches that are coming from these different denominative shells must flow into a stream that is more glorious than you can imagine. And it shouldn't take persecution for that to happen. It is far more to the glory of God than in the midst of prosperity we are those that do not love the world and become puffed up with pride and lose our first love like the church of Ephesus. 
Let us be the Church of Philadelphia. Thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.